Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson with Common Cord Psychology Services, and I am glad you're here. And I am very glad that my guest this week is here. Uh, It's an honor to welcome Heidi Lau. Uh, Welcome, Heidi. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, we're we're today we're going to be talking um, about things a lot of people don't don't like to talk about that it's hard to imagine talking. So about. true, <laughs> and I kind of make a kind of make a habit out of doing that sort of thing. And I'm really glad that that Heidi's here today. We're we're going to be talking about Heidi's work in the field of um, grief and parents who've lost children, and more specifically today, this this conversation is going to be for those of us um, in the aunties, friends, clinicians realm who are sort of allies to parents who've had unthinkable loss. Um, And so I'm really grateful to have the space and the time to chat a little bit about what what those of us surrounding people who've experienced unthinkable loss can can learn and know and do and try. So t- tell us a little bit, Heidi, about you. How I always say to folks, you know, how did you end up in this chair with me? <laughs> right. Um, well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge 
how important it was that you said at the very beginning that here's a topic that people don't want to talk about and that people don't think about and it is the unthinkable because that's something that parents that are grieving really struggle with is nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. Um, people are afraid to. So I'm so happy that you created the space for us to have that conversation today. And um, how did I get here? It certainly is not a field that you choose to really like when you're little, oh, when I grow up, I want to work with bereaved parents. Um, came by it naturally. I had a daughter that was diagnosed with a brain tumor and we went through treatment for two years and then she passed away at the age of five. She's actually four and a half and was in a coma over her fifth birthday and then um, died after that. And so that was going on 20 years ago. So it's been um, a long time for me and about eight years after I had done a lot of my own work. Um, and I was fortunate enough that I had the resources and the tools to discover the things that worked for me. Um, I started a nonprofit to create um, retreats for other parents um, because I was not a support group person. I am very much an introvert and process internally. I wanted to provide something for other parents that did it or more drawn to doing it the way that I did it. Um, and so I've been doing retreats. Um, we started that in 2013. So I've been working with other parents nationwide from all different um, socioeconomic um, areas, all different areas of the U.S. Um, so really seeing the gamut of what it looks like to be a bereaved parent. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. I just... Yeah, feel a tightness in my chest even now hearing hearing you talk about it. And exactly, I, I think that's it, right? That that well-meaning folks um, wish they knew what to say or do over the years, um, and oftentimes, what what do you what do you see? I think if if parents could communicate, if parents who've lost children could communicate to others around them. Like, what, what would you want us to know? What do you think? I know you can't speak for all parents on this journey and everybody's different, but what are some key mistakes or, or hiccups you see in the support? Yeah. So yeah, I can't speak for um, universally, but I can say that at every single retreat, we organically always have conversations about the stupid shit. Sorry, but <laughs> oh. the stupid shit that people have said to us <laughs> or done <laughs> or not done. And so I can speak pretty universally, like the common things that come up with that. And I want to point out that you, you did say that you had a tightness in your chest. Um, as I spoke about it, and that's what happens for a bereaved parent that's dealing with this all day, every day. It's never not on their brain, whether it's been two days since their child died or even where I'm going on 20 years. I honestly don't know if there isn't a day that Allison isn't in my mind in some way. Now, it's in a positive way, but she's still in my mind. There's nobody that's ever going to remind me of something that isn't already there is what I'm trying to say. So we're already in it. And then everybody coming to it they come with a, a place of fear and it's a place of fear, either that they're going to say the wrong thing, they're going to do the wrong thing. So they don't do anything, or they come from almost a subconscious fear of child loss is contagious. Mm. And if I'm here with you and this is an unspoken thing and it's not everybody, but it seems to be an undercurrent of like, Ooh, I don't want to talk about this taboo subject. Cause if I get too close to it, it might happen. Yeah. And they don't even want to think about yeah. the unthinkable. 
it's just such a scary place to go. And so um, for parents to have people that will just show up mm-hmm. and open up the conversation. And I think that one of the most important things is people always say, what do I say? I don't want to say the wrong thing. Well, it's better to say the wrong thing to not say anything at all. Mm-hmm. But then also like just take a step back and think about if your child had died, would you want somebody to say that your child was in a better place? Yeah, again, I can even just that, you know, right? Like, and that gets so, it gets so, com- right? And people think, people think they're being comforting, right? That's an attempt or in line with whatever their mm-hmm. beliefs are about the spirit and making sense of things, right? Like, is it something that doesn't make any sense to any of us? Um, yeah. And so to make sense, they have to come up with a reason why this would have happened or a way to give you comfort. It seems that that's what, what people do. But yeah, noted they're in a better place would be a really, really hard. Well, and it's any of those, I think it's any of those platitudes. Yes. Um, because number one, I think that as the person trying to comfort, you're actually trying to comfort yourself more than you're right. trying to comfort the parent. Right. Um, And you don't know, even if you go to the same church, you do not know that you have the same internal faith system. Right. And so who are you to impose your beliefs on a grieving parent? And you also don't know, even if you knew how they felt before their child died, I guarantee you their belief system has been altered, challenged, changed, or strengthened by the loss of a child. And so... Yeah, really kind of hold back on your own belief system. Um, and like, I had parent people say to me, well, at least you had five years with her. Oh, okay. Would you like to trade in your 20 extra years that you've had with your child? Like, <laughs> so just stop and think about what you're saying. And if, if it was your child that you were saying, somebody was saying it to you about, I think that that's one of the things, um, And then beyond that, I think it's really easy if you're afraid of like, do they want to talk about their child? Do they not want to? That is something that I've seen runs the gamut. And a lot of it depends on how long it's been since your child has died. um, What were the circumstances? Like, what are your just normal social norms? Like, are you open or not? But what you can do is say, hey, I would love to hear about and use the child's name. I would love to hear what you'd like to share with me. If you don't want to share with me, that's also fine too, but I'm here. And if they seem open, ask specific questions like, what's one of your favorite memories with the child? Or what's one thing that you really miss? Like ask things instead of just like, tell me about them. And again, it's once you've kind of gotten the permission, ask them specific questions because to say, like, if I were to say, tell me about your son, you're like, well, what part of him do you want to know? (laughs) Like, So don't make the parent do the work. And along those lines, too, is don't put the parents in a position that they have to come for you. Right. People, I'm here whenever you want to reach out is very different from I've been thinking about you. You know, do you want to talk or would you like to talk today or, um, you know, how would you what? And that's what I'm assuming you mean, like do the work to reach out and say, is now a time you want to not that directly, but you tell me so that I stop putting words in your mouth. What would be, <laughs> what would be a way to do that? That's a good point. And I'll talk about that, but then I'll yeah. go back to what I was yeah. actually talking about. Um, so I think that periodic 
text messages or voice messages just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Um, would love to do coffee in the next couple of weeks if you want. Throw me a couple of dates. Yeah. So like you're making it very easy for them, but you're also giving them the space and the graciousness to say no if they're not ready. And keep coming. Just because you've gotten five no's or you've gotten silence doesn't mean that they don't appreciate it. They just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. Their hearts are broken. And so just knowing that somebody keeps showing up. So the perfect um, support that I had in my early days was there was a couple that I went over to their house. This is back when Alias was on TV. So that tells you how long ago this is. <laughs> Alias was on TV on Sunday nights. I would go over to their house every Sunday night. We would do dinner and wine and watch Alias. And sometimes we didn't talk about Allison at all. Sometimes we talked about, because I was nearly divorced in the mid middle of all that too, we talked about my new, like, as it was like, and we did this for probably two years, like the second year in, like, oh, my dating life and like laughing and having fun. And then other times it was like, oh my God, today was so hard. I saw this and it made me think of Allison. And so just to have that standing date and that consistency of knowing I have this ongoing relationship where I can be whatever I want to be. I can be happy. I can be sad. I can be both. I can have my normal life and I can have my grieving life yeah. and they can all be intertwined. Um, but what I was actually talking about was it happens with everybody, but it happens even more. I think the further out you get, because as happens with everyone, your life evolves and grows and changes and different people show up in your life. So most of the people, I'm going to use myself as an example here. Most of the people in my life today never knew Allison. And didn't know me as a mom. And so when I end up, and I, a lot of times I won't even say if people ask me because like I gauge it at this point, like, do I want to have that conversation? But there are times when I can tell that if people ask me if I had kids or like, you know, it comes up that, oh, I had a daughter who passed away. I'm sitting there telling them, oh, it's okay. It's been 20 years. Like, why the hell are you putting me in the position to make you feel better about my daughter that's dead? <laughs> no, I just, hi, we're sitting here. And for those of you, this is an audio cast. I'm like crying over here. Like, Laura, get yourself together. This is the other part of that. Like, don't make it about you and your emotions. And yes, it's sad and it's human to, to notice when sadness bubbles up. But in general, that I was going to bring up the fact that I imagine that you've gotten quite skilled at watching for either a complete shutdown and disengagement or somebody gets a little messy in front of you and you're feeling the need to take care of them when you're talking about this story and that that feels like a big you know like the narrative burden concept of like all of a sudden you are in a caretaker role because people who are trying to stay present it is such a such a hard thing to imagine that you may end up carrying stuff for other people in the moment, which is not uh, always helpful. <laughs> yes. And you, you totally nailed it. And showing emotion is okay. Yes. Like seeing you tear up, that makes me feel like, oh, she gets it. Because you're not putting the emotional burden on me to tell you, oh, I'm okay. And it's okay because it's been 20. Like, yeah. you're just showing that you have compassion and you can, you can have a little bit of semblance. Yeah. Oh, here's one thing not to do. Never say, oh, I just lost my dog. It's almost like losing a child. 
<laughs> totally change of topic, but I've had that happen. And so you're a many dog times. person. And to be fair, you're a dog person. You love your dog. Yes. Like, let's be clear about this too, right? You're, you're, right? you're like, you have a dog. And so it's not just that you're, yeah. That one, that would, that would stand out to me as well. That would make quite yeah. an impact where to hear it. The other grieving statement that is so well intended and that, that I myself have a really hard time with is the everything happens for a reason. Um, yes. Car- and I can firmly believe that. And I do like, I, you know, this is kind of stepping into my own belief system, but like, I firmly believe that Allison was meant to be here for five years and that that was her contract with being here and all of that. But so help me God, if somebody else tries to tell me that everything happens for a reason, they can go shut it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hate it's like, yeah, I get the same way. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Or the assumption too around, um, we were talking about being in faith community and the tremendous strength that people get from faith. <clears throat> but the idea that when other people are grieving, it was thoughts and prayers. It was prayers. It was God who who saved a child who was sick. It was God. And I mm-hmm. always sit there and think, what does that do for people of faith who did lose a child or a loved one whose prayers didn't work? Like there's been Exactly. A, um, did they not have a big enough faith? Did God not love their child? Or or I've heard, oh God, another angel. People hear that one a lot. I mean, it's sort of, so part of what feels like, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, a little bit of, so the asking per, permission a, a little mm-hmm. bit about like, I'm not sure the right thing to do. What I'd love to do is say, you know, if you, you know, would you like to talk about Allison? Would mm-hmm. you, you know, I can hold that on the days that you'd like to. Um, so, so like permission and asking and not shying away and also just, not if there were a right thing to say, I would say it, you know, it stinks. Yeah. And what do you need? It stinks. And what do exactly. you need? <laughs> right? Okay. So, and on the, what do you need, especially in the beginning, it's so overwhelming because you need everything, but you don't even know how to articulate what you need or what you need. And you feel so like, oh my God, everybody's coming up and showing up for me. And I feel shame about that. And so um, especially if somebody's in those early first couple of months, just say, Hey, I'm starting a food train for you. Can you give me the food that your family likes? What time it should show up at your door? We're going to have, tell me where we put it so that you don't have to talk to anybody. It can be dropped off. Yeah. And we'll make sure that it's in containers that you don't have to return yeah. so that you make it and you just tell them we're, or okay what are your what are five of your family's favorite restaurants that do to go and then you get them gift cards yeah they just step in and do things like that or like okay we want to hire a housekeeper for you what would be a good day of the week yeah just start to anticipate what are those things that are just tangible needs so that they don't have to think about it and, um and, and that one that one really resonated with me because when we did our first retreat I had a dad they came up to me about halfway through the tree. He's like, my God, Heidi, you know what I love about this? For the first time in two years, I haven't had to tell somebody how to take care of me and support me. Wow. Right. So it's, 
imagining the kinds of things when you don't have bandwidth, when you know that somebody's emotional resources are tapped, what does that, what does that mean would be supportive? And then, and then take enough of a lead. So the decision-making is off their hands on a bigger picture, but give them control over the detail. Perfect. No, that's absolutely perfect. It's like respecting their boundaries of you're still in control, but I'm also providing for you all of the choices and resources at your fingertips. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, super, super helpful and concrete in terms, right? Because again, I think most of us get in this anxious place of like, I need to do when we're anxious, you know, I need to do, I should be doing mm-hmm. something, I should be saying something. And, and so if, if, yeah, if there are concretes like meals and, and yeah, cleaning car washes, <laughs> like car washes, yeah, <laughs> mowing the lawn, if it's the yeah. summer, things like that. And then if there's siblings, that's another really big one. So I, um, amazing. So I had Allison, who is my one biological daughter, who was five when she died, and she had been sick for a couple of years, but I also had three stepchildren. And they were, um, let's see here, Shailene was five years older, and then six years older, and eight years older. So I've had the opportunity, they're now all adults. So the youngest is now 30 and a mother of her own. And so I did an actual interview with her and said, okay, looking back, like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like, I want to hear so that we can tell other parents, what, what did we do wrong? What did we do right? How could people have shown up for you differently? And she provided, and actually I did that with um, my stepson as well. They provided amazing insight for the siblings, things like, have somebody besides family, somebody that knew my sibling and knows my family, but isn't devastated by it, have them take me out on a regular basis. Take me out for ice cream every week and like involve me in your family's things. Cause my family is utterly devastated and gutted. Let me go have a good time and be a kid. Yeah. Please board Um, somewhere. Yeah. And that's where they can definitely show up. And it doesn't have to be somebody that necessarily has other kids or somebody that they were yeah. really close to before. Like, so it doesn't have to, you don't have to say, oh, well, I didn't really know the children that well. But if you know that you're in a space where you can show up consistently for them, start to develop that relationship. Yeah. Like kind of take it on as like a big brother, big sister kind of thing. They can just be a safe space. Yeah. That, yeah. Because kids do their own thing in the rest of the family system in terms of trying to figure out who to take care of. And they either shut down or blow out or, right, everybody does their mm-hmm. their different thing in the face of of parents who are varied degrees of available. Even, I mean, even the, the, the highest, right, because then there's this whole idea, too, that is that there's a right way and a wrong way to grieve. Um, right. And that, that even parents who are high functioning in many ways and self-sufficient and, and do their work are still going to have days that they just can't be present and can't meet a need for people. Well, and I would, I would say that sometimes the more high functioning ones have less bandwidth to show up for their other kids in a present way, because you have a very limited amount of resource in you when you're at that place. And so it's like, you, you are, yeah, (laughs) there's no, there's no way you can show up for your children the way that they probably need after you've lost a child. Which is a second sadness, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, like that's a, that's a a layer of additional sort of 
failure or sadness or this kind of thing. I imagine that, that yeah, like a guilt, a guilt. Yes. Yeah. And, And reflect on and, and, and so if you're surrounding folks who are on this path, just, just an awareness that, yeah, to go out for an ice cream, to play a board game, to go for a drive and look at horses in the field somewhere, to whatever. Exactly, yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be. And also noting that I think adults tuning into kids, it doesn't have to be that you take them to Six Flags once a month, right? It can literally be a cup of tea somewhere on your in your kitchen table and a game of cards or a drive through the countryside. Like it, this doesn't have to be, you don't have to be circus auntie. Well, and it's actually, I think, better sometimes when it's not. Yeah. Because that leaves space for the child to be able to express what they're actually feeling versus if it's all, I think it's okay to do circus ante sometimes, but if it's all just that, there's not really room to just be. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's some of the most... I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, <laughs> the, that one of the other lovely gifts when people are grieving, honestly, is just to be able to be there quietly, be in, yep. in the house or be in the, I had a, a, a friend at one point who had pregnancy loss and, and to this, I mean, she'll just say, just that Saturday you came and we stared at dumb television and you got up and made me tea twice and we didn't talk about anything and you had no agenda and we were just kind of parked um, was really, really uh, a nice thing. Whereas normally, I mean, again, with permission to be in people's space for an extended period, mm-hmm. ask, you know, like, <laughs> I'm thinking I'll stay for the afternoon, thumbs up or thumbs down, you know, and you won't hurt my feelings either way uh, kind of a thing. So it just, it's, it's that, that concept of the being instead of the doing right. And that, that, yes. that can be really helpful helpful too, just a, just a presence there. That's not making demands and can't anticipate. For sure. For sure. Because losing a child is a very lonely place. Even if you have a spouse and it's a good relationship, even if you have other kids, even if you have all that, it's a very lonely place and there's no way for it to not be lonely. So yeah, having somebody just be there is, it has to be the right person. Yeah. Tell me, I know we're getting ready to wrap up, but say, say a little bit about do you do you have statistics on marriages? And you know, everybody talks about how the statistics are higher, and then um, people also I've seen also other studies that it's not any higher. Um, so I can't tell you because I've yeah. heard and seen both. But what I can say from my own experience is I feel like, and I think this is with any major stressor, like whatever that relationship was before a child dies. It's like if it was a strong foundation, it'll probably at the end strengthen it unless they have very different grieving styles and cannot understand or accept each other's grieving styles. That's the one caveat I would give. But what I've seen is that if it was a strong marriage going in, it will, it'll be rough, but it'll be strong coming out. If there were already cracks in the system, done. And, and as an ally or a supporter of folks, it, it, that's also an area that you can, that you can't, I'm not encouraging people to save anybody's mirror, but you can ask, how are you and so-and-so doing? How are the, what's it like to be navigating this, you know, with two different people doing different things with it? Like it's, that it's, that it doesn't hurt to check in about kinds of support that can be needed in, 
in that way too, or to be able to talk about that in the midst of everything else going on. Um, that that's a way to offer support too, is to recognize yeah, yeah. that there are strains on the rest of the family, whether it's parenting other children or a primary relationship and just be open to, to checking in about the kinds of support surrounding whoever it is you're supporting as well. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And don't forget the dads. Tell say more about that. Um, a lot of times the dads that come into our retreats are the most open because it's the first time they felt safe being able to be open. Like uh, people throw a lot of support at the moms and moms in general, I'm speaking vast stereotypes, but moms in general have more opportunities and our society supports moms reaching out and finding support for one another and having conversations and for them being sad. So often the dads, both by our societal pressures and norms of, you know, stiff upper lip, tend to go back to work. They tend to get back into the swing of things. Um, there's just not that space for them to grieve. And there's also not always an acknowledgement that they're going through as much pain yeah. as a mother is. And in some ways, it's not more or less, but I think that something that I've seen fathers take on even more is that responsibility. And mothers do it too, of course, but that responsibility, but I was supposed to be the provider and the protector. Yep. Because of all that programming. So that, that, that failure or the thing we couldn't do enough kind of a thing takes on slightly different meaning. If you've been, if you've been programmed around that, that as well, that's super, Super valuable. So, so as we wrap up today, because I want to have you back for part two, we I already know <laughs> I do to talk more specifically to parents who are in it directly. But for those of us who are allies and things, and we've heard this, and we're thinking about our our sisters or our brothers or our uh, you know whoever, where where can they find you in the work that you're doing? Where can they point their their friends and family and loved ones? Yeah, so they can go to ohanaoasis.org. O-H-A-N-A, which means family in Hawaiian, um, Oasis, O-A-S-I-S, um, dot org. And that is where parents can apply to be part of our retreat. Um, we also have a sibling support page and a how to support parents page that gives a high level of what we just talked about today. And then we also have we're on Instagram and Facebook where we do really regular posts that like it's a mix of what we do is for our retreats and also to support stuff. So. Well, thank you so much, Heidi, for being here and sharing your your wisdom and thoughts. And and I really look forward to continuing to kind of partner. There's so so many important conversations to be had and great resources to develop for something that is such a distinct, such a distinct, I don't even know what to call it. Serious, you know, a distinct experience, such a distinct there's hard to imagine anything like it and such a distinct need for, for support and knowing and, and getting it righter. You know, I talk a lot in this podcast about like, there's no absolute right and wrong for so much of what we do, but there are ways to get it righter. Oh, I like um, that. Yes. It, offer, it offers grace. Yes. Right. I mean, yeah. Like let's, let's see what we can learn. So thank you. And I will definitely thank have you. you back. Take care. All right. Aloha. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. 
There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch, and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places, and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.